Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Thanks for being here. Great to see you all. Hello to everybody that's watching online this morning. Would you please bow your head and join me in a brief prayer? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, I pray that same thing for every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would help us to to clear out the other thoughts, the distractions, the the worry, the hurry, the the frustration, the to-do list, Lord, that you would help us to just lock in and focus on you and your word and any message that you may have for us individually as we come to worship you today. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, it's always a pleasure to be invited to be a guest speaker. And uh, I, think, I think we mentioned that Pastor Dave's with his family in Arizona visiting their, their college-age daughter. And God willing, we'll be back next week to pick up again in his series through the book of Revelation. And when we started talking about this months ago, he and I both agreed that it fits just about perfectly with where we are and where he's going to take us starting next week into the larger section of the book of Revelation that deals with our future. All the way through what scriptures say will be the end of this world and the beginning of the next one. And what we're exploring today is the always hovering nearness of the close of our time on this earth, commonly referred to as the end of our life or death. Now, please don't be shocked or upset or the least bit uncomfortable, okay? I know it bothers a lot of us to even hear that word, but we're going to use Scripture to take a good look at a Bible-based fact of life. We are all going to die someday. Weathercasters love to talk about the chance of rain or snow, and sometimes we're pretty good with it, others maybe not so much. But the only forecast I am perfectly comfortable with being accurate is that there is a 100% chance that every one of us in this room will eventually die. Unless, of course, what we call the rapture happens first. But either way, our, our time is short and getting shorter. And it always puzzles me that so many devoted Christians seem to be unsure about dying, afraid of death. Some just a bit, but many deeply fearful. A lot of people don't even want to talk about it or mention it. You'd be surprised how many I've had tell me they won't write a will or or prepay funeral expenses because then I'll die. Well, guess what? You're going to die anyway. (laughs) And side note, the best gift you can leave your survivors is a legally documented will or trust with all the details and a prepaid funeral plan if you want those who who live on after you to be thankful and grateful and say wonderful things about you that's a great place to start now the bible teaches that true believers are promised an eternity with god and jesus and we all agree that will be fantastic right but yet for some reason we we hesitate don't we oh that sounds great lord but not yet okay i mean i'm not done here am i it's this, they even do country songs about it. 
Rose and I love the two-step. There's an old Joe Diffie line where one of them is, Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. I mean, we're, we, we, we just don't want to be in a hurry about it, right? But ladies and gentlemen, no matter what your age, it's time to seriously realize the clock of your lives is running down. This morning, every one of us is 24 hours closer to death than we were yesterday. Now, if you've been attending New Covenant since Pastor David Shop arrived, this should not come as a surprise. How many times in the six months he's been here have you heard him say, you know you're going to die, don't you? 127 times. I've counted. Just, just kidding. But I'm glad he does it. We are exactly 20 years and one day apart, Pastor Dave and I. And we have so much in common, it's kind of eerie. We're very different, but we have so many commonalities, and we believe almost exactly the same things about Scripture and how it should be taught, especially this subject. It's critical to our eventual eternal life to have a solid understanding of how short the life we live right now is going to be. To me, the key to eternity is to be very clear in understanding we don't have much time left no matter what our age is today. So welcome to a message called the brevity of life. We start in Psalm 39 verse 4. Lord remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. That was written by King David back when life was incredibly difficult and dangerous before any of our modern conveniences, medical advances, safety procedures we take for granted today. Rare was the family who didn't lose at least one, if not several young children to death. And most people that did survive didn't make it to 40. Now, these days, there are a lot of people who make their living in this world. They spend their lives studying ours. And one group of those are known as actuaries. Most of them work for insurance companies or firms like that. And they've developed systems and mathematical formulas that, in a fairly accurate way, predict how long each of us are expected to live. Our life expectancy varies depending on our current age, whether we're male or female, race, race, ethnicity, where in the U.S. we live, what year we were born, as well as our habits, behaviors, and practices. You sign up for a life insurance policy, they're going to ask you if you smoke, if you drink, if you ride motorcycles without a helmet, like I do once in a while. Uh, th those, those kinds of things are important to them. A baby born in the U.S. in 2021 has an estimated life expectancy, according to the latest report from the National Center for Health Statistics, of over 70 years. For women, it's 79.1 years. And for men, it's 73.2 years. And it averages out to the number I'm going to use for today's message, 76 years. You're going to hear that number several times. Now, if you're 20 or 30, that number, 76, probably sounds huge. But any of us in this room my age or older will promise you it's not. The longer you live, somehow the faster time seems to go by. I've heard it said many times, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it disappears, right? 
And in large part, that's because of how we spend our time. Psalm 39, 6 says, We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. We hustle and hurry. We work, 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 but still we worry. We buy and buy and buy and spend everything we can, and then we die. And verse 7 says, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. And I will tell you that is absolutely true. So why is it important to talk about death? Because Scripture says it is. King David's son, King Solomon, who the Bible tells us was the wisest man to ever live, wrote this in Ecclesiastes 7. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, first thing, let's be clear about what this does not say. It's not telling us that we should never go to a party or a celebration. Not at all. Scripture's filled with prescribed celebrations and feasts and wonderful get-togethers. God knows they're good for us and important to us. And it's certainly not saying there's anything at all wrong with laughter. Laughter is truly a gift from the Lord, and it's incredibly good for our soul. But Solomon is making an important statement here. So, so let's look a little closer. Spending time at funerals is better than being at parties? Sorrow is better than laughter? Come on, does God even have a clue of what we go through? He absolutely does. And the next line in that passage explains a big part of why this is written. Let's go back and repeat verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. To refine means to purify, to remove the imperfections. And sorrow, used the way God wants us to, can make us better, wiser, even stronger. It can help us realize we've got junk in our trunk. And, and when we identify the garbage we've been hauling around, we can start to get rid of the gunk. Sadness at a death can motivate us to look back at what we might have done differently during that person's lifetime in our interactions to the things we would have, could have, should have done with them or for them or said to them that we never got around to and wish we had. Or the converse side, things that perhaps were hurtful or neglectful that we wish we had not done. But the death of someone we know should be a perfect reminder that our own death is getting closer. Most of us have attended funerals where it's obvious the person made a long series of poor choices along the way. And they're too numerous to list, but alcoholism, drug abuse, overeating, under-exercising, chronic carelessness about their health, their lifestyle, or a series of dangerous or risky relationships or habits. Now, hopefully, we never sit at a funeral and judge the person whose life we are there to honor. Scripture makes it clear that is not our job. Jesus will take care of that. But there's nothing wrong with us trying to learn from 
the example their life was, whether it was good or bad. Death should help us take a better look at ourselves through the lens of Scripture. I love the phrase in the book of James where it teaches that Scripture is a mirror that is there to help us see our imperfections in our life. And if we look in the mirror and see a problem and then walk away without doing anything to fix it, we have wasted our time. A well-done funeral or memorial or as we call a celebration of life service should help us take a deep and honest look inside our own soul. Ask yourself, am I living a life that pleases Jesus? Is this death a sign that it's finally time for me to quit drinking or to quit cheating in my marriage or to start being more intentional and caring about those I love to rebuild a relationship to finally get right with God? And and there are so many important thoughts that can and should go through our mind at a funeral. I've been to several that have encouraged me to institute very positive change in my life. Memorial services of good and godly people who truly love Jesus and visibly serve the Lord's kingdom day after day, year after year. They inspire my desire to, to lift my hands higher, to reach out and say, Lord, Lord, use me. Show me how you can use me in the same way that you use them. It should not bring us down. The death of someone who visibly followed Jesus should lift us up. When someone we love or admire takes their last breath, we should fill our lungs, breathe deep, and ponder the intricacy and function of our body and mind, how it works and why it works, to enjoy the beauty of this world that we so often take for granted, the incredible scenery that we're blessed with. Rose and I will celebrate our our 30th anniversary tomorrow, and uh, Friday we wanted to go out for dinner, and and we had reservations um, at 10-3, the big restaurant up on top top of Sandia Crest, but we almost didn't go because it was all clouded, and we thought, well, we don't want to, you know, just just be sucked in up there. But we went, and just as we got to the top, we cleared the top of the clouds, and we could look out over clouded New Mexico and see the sunshine and the beauty and the snow that was this deep coating all the tree branches and it was just amazing and such a beautiful surprise the delicious food that we had the availability of food that all of us have in this world and the variety of people that Jesus places in our pathway every day those are not coincidence they are not accidental and there's just an amazing array of wonderful gifts and blessings that we've been given in this living breathing creation of God Almighty that we call our life. Every single day we wake up above ground is a great reason to praise the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it is something that we should practice saying every morning when we get up, excited for one more chance on this earth. Lord, I'm finally going to get it right. At least I'm going to give it a good try. A chance with those we love and those who the Holy Spirit will accidentally place us in contact with every single day we should head out watching for the opportunity to learn something informational to do something sensational to share something transformational about Jesus with someone else now I mentioned that the average American has a life expectancy of just a little over 76 years 
And I, I brought along a, a visual aid. I want to use this tape measure for part of my service here today. And I'm looking for a young person. Come here. Come on up, honey. Come on up here. Would you come up? Let me stand right over here. And tell, tell us your name. Ava. And, and Ava, how old are you? I'm 10. You're 10. So we're going to pull this out to 10 inches, okay? Each inch represents your, your life, okay? How old do you think I am? Pretty old. Pretty old. <laughs> Want to take a guess? 40. Oh. <laughs> Let's give this girl a better seat. That's it. Thank you, Ava. That's old. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite memories in my, in my broadcasting career is Balloon Fiesta. A little kid walking up, and his, his mom says, oh, it's Steve Stucker. And he goes, you're Steve Stucker? I said, yeah. He looks up. He goes, man, you're getting old. And I'm like, you're not going to have that opportunity if you don't move along here, little guy. <laughs> so I'm going to pull this out to 76 inches here. And keep in mind that 76 is is just an average between men and women. Right there, okay, there we have it. That's a lot. But a lot don't make it to the age of 76. Many don't even get close. Our really good brother, Josh Link, passed away just after he turned 40. He died from colon cancer, a disease that we don't even really start screening for until we're 50 in most cases. And he was strong and fit and rode mountain bikes and just active and good and godly and he faced his death head on with gusto love of family and deep devotion to jesus and i'll always be thankful to josh because he was a private guy but i asked and he accepted to step up and talk to our men's ministry one saturday about 50 guys talking about what he knew was coming his death and how he was dealing with that and preparing it and it was such an incredible blessing Yesterday, we did a life celebration for Tara Sylvia, a deeply faithful follower of Christ from our family here at New Covenant. Her husband, Mark, plays keyboards in our, in our worship team. She was fine less than two weeks ago. Thursday, she was removed from life support so her organs could save the lives of others. COVID took several of our New Covenant family who were only in their 50s and 60s and heart attacks, strokes, kidney disease, car accidents have taken way too many other good men and women from us much earlier than anybody would have imagined. And I have buried so many little kids, teeny tiny ones, as well as a lot of teenagers and so many young adults in their 20s and 30s. Sons, daughters, sisters, brothers, husbands, wives, these are each precious lives in the sight of our Lord, and they should be to us. Now, there are many who live longer than 76, a lot longer. Anybody want to volunteer to raise your hand in the group here today? Be proud of it. We should, we, we should honor and, 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 and respect our elders. Some, some live a lot longer. Um, some of you who've been here a while will remember our wonderful New Covenant brother, Bill Fry. He made it to 97. Stan Farmer lived to be 93. And we, we've had a, a, a number of women that have made it into their mid-90s here in our church home. Both these men were such good and godly examples to me in the early days of being a pastor, and I was honored to preside over both their funerals. But here's a point I want to make by mentioning them. 
All too often we tend to think only about the quantity of life, how long we live, as opposed to the quality of life, how well we live. Bill was very active. He attended our men's ministry meetings right up to the last few months of his life. He drove until I found out he was driving at 96 years of age, and then, then we started getting him a ride. He was healthy up, up until like the last week or so when I was able to visit him at his home. Stan was a deeply devoted Christian who served our Lord in many different ways for decades. He did so many different things in the church, but the last several years of his life were extremely difficult, plagued with increasingly debilitating health issues, and he'd spend weeks at a time in the hospital, go home to recover, go back to the hospital. He kept his spirits up. His goal was to live to be 100. I'm like, Stan, why? You're hurting so bad. But, but, but he loved life. He loved his wife, Chris, and he just wanted to be here to the very end. Many of us forget that just because we're alive, it doesn't mean we're always going to be fully functional and capable of serving every day of our lives. So don't make the mistake of assuming you've got a lot of time to get around to doing most of the important things in your life. So many of us make excuses. We fool ourselves or we flat out lie. I'll serve the Lord once I retire, when I get a little more time in my life, after the kids are gone, once we sell the big house, on and on and on. And I bring this up because of our natural tendency. It is to procrastinate, especially on opportunities God sets in our pathway. We say we're just waiting to get started or putting them off because I'm just too busy right now. Truth is, we are often ignoring the call of the Lord on our heart. I know it. I've done it. I put off serving in jail ministry for youth for two or three years. God kept pinging me about it, and I kept making excuses, and once I finally went, I was like, wow, look what I missed, Lord, by waiting so long to get involved. It was the same way with becoming a pastor. Nobody was more shocked than me to, to find out I was being called to be a pastor when I was in my 50s. I was like, are you kidding me, Lord? Don't you know how old I am, and you know my past, and I had excuses, and I argued with him for a year. Put it off too long, and the next thing we know, we're sick or deaf or blind or disabled. We tend to wait until it's too late. Now, you very well might live to be 76 or 86. We'll go another 10 inches here. Or even 96. But you might not be fully functional for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years of your life. Now, whatever age you are, whatever you look at, for me, I'm right about here, I can look back and say, whew, man, look at all that garbage, look at all that wasted time, look at all that gunk, that junk, and this is what I might have left on average. And I could easily disqualify myself because of my past, as could many of you. But our God is totally transformational, and he will take what man meant for evil. He will take our garbage, and he'll transform it into godly gold. When we look at scriptures about the brevity of life with a godly attitude, the deeper meaning of it moves our thoughts from depressing to refreshing. 
Yes, we're each going to pass away someday, and it could be very soon for any one of us. And when that happens, God doesn't want us to be sad or surprised, but blessed in understanding that he has made us well advised through his word, through the scriptures. And death is a wonderful reminder we don't have forever to get important things done. Our men's ministry motto is, if not now, when? What are we waiting for? When am I really going to do whatever it is God has put on my heart? Now, those who live by the standards of the world will hear us talk about the brevity of life, and they're going to start thinking about all the cool and expensive things they've always wanted to do before they die, or the exotic trips they've always wanted to take, or the good impressions or big business deals they still need to make. But let's go back to this morning's earlier scripture, Psalm 39, verse 4 where we're told a wise person thinks a lot about death, but a fool thinks only about having a good time. Is a party lifestyle a good time your goal? Or are you one of these hard workers, busted 16, 18 hours a day, often seven days a week for a promotion so that you can buy a bigger house and then travel the world staying in other people's houses? Or, or, or becoming well-known, your, your name with lots of fame. Really, is that what this brief life is designed to be all about? And what's wrong with waiting until later, until I have more time to serve the Lord? What, what have we got to lose? A lot. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? A wise person who determines not to follow the rest of the world but to live by the word will read that passage and recognize the very limited time left in this life and dedicate their remaining days to serve the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that you need to stop and go to a convent or become a pastor or, or anything like that. You can dedicate your life to serving the Lord right now, and he will use wherever you are, whatever you're doing, to do that if you pray about it and concentrate on it. And how many of you have or would be willing to create a Jesus-inspired bucket list? You know, bucket list has been a big thing for a long time now, 10 years or more, you know. Uh, I want to climb Mount Everest or vacation in Bora Bora, wherever that is, or, or, or buying a Rolls Royce or having $10 million in the bank by the time I retire. What about writing out a bucket list of things you commit to do for the Lord before it's too late? Lead someone to accept Jesus. It's pretty shameful, pretty embarrassing how many of us in this room have never led a single soul to come to know the Lord. It's amazingly easy if you set your mind to it and ask God to show you how and to give you the opportunity. And then you'll add to your bucket list and say, I want to lead 100. I want to lead 1,000. Maybe it's reading the Bible cover to cover. On our website, we've got a daily plan. You can start in any time of the year and get through the whole Bible in just a year. What about learning the Bible and then teaching it to others? You don't have to be an expert or a seminarian. 
what about inviting someone to church once? What about promising yourself to do it every week? What about saying, you know what, I'm going to ask three or four people every week to come to church. Look around you. We have a good crowd today, but we have a lot of empty seats. And Jesus wants somebody in every one of those next week when Pastor Dave comes back. And you can be a part of his kingdom. You can serve his will by doing that. And I'll tell you this, it was a simple question. Hey, would you come to church with me this week? That got me started. That pulled me out of my degrading 20 years of running away from the Lord and coming into church. I really didn't want to go, but she was a pretty girl, and I thought, yeah, that'll impress her. But that's what it took to get me there. And you could change not just one life, but thousands of lives by asking, what about on your list, volunteering to teach Sunday school? Or, or what we call discipleship. It's really simple. It's asking a person farther along in their walk with Jesus to disciple you, to teach you scriptures in the way of the Lord, to help you learn to deal with tricky, troubling questions in your life. And then to watch for someone newer to our faith for you to do the same thing with, for you to disciple like Paul and Timothy did in the Bible. What about joining our prayer ministry? It's powerful. They meet and pray all the time. Or a small group, just joining a small group or leading a small group. What about just signing up to learn to have growing opportunities in your faith like our Wednesday night Bible series that, that we're doing now that we get about 150 people come every Wednesday night. What about financially supporting a young ministry worker or a missionary? <laughs> the part of the, the ministry that I think should be called, what's in your wallet and why is it still there? Why is it, why is it not out where it can grow God's kingdom? Why not, to give, why, why not determine to give more, to give hilariously now? instead of hoarding it away until you're gone? What about adopting a, a nursing home or a senior living facility to go visit to hold a Bible study each week? We're surrounded by them right here in this neighborhood, and they're all over our city. And it doesn't have to be something big and grand. Start small, and when God sees you being faithful in the small things, he will give you more and more opportunities. For me, I was so lost, I didn't know what to do. I just started out helping stacking chairs when they needed that. I could do that. And you can do so many things in this church or in other related faith-based ministries. The options are endless. Now, this message has become very personal. Over three years ago, maybe close to four years ago, the Lord made it very clear to me that it was time to leave TV. 33 years at this job, around 48 years altogether in radio and television broadcasting. And a lot of you know I've announced my retirement and I'll be finished on air in just over 60 days. And it's scary to walk away from the best job I've ever had. It took me a long time to get the courage. I, I really had to pray about it and talk with a lot of my pastor friends who've done it to walk away from the financial security it's given my family, and then to go into the last meeting to hear my boss make me a, a great big juicy three-year offer to stay at a number I'd always look towards and, and, and being able to take a deep breath and say, thank you, it's very generous, but no, it's time for me to go to serve the Lord. So starting June 1st, my full-time job will be ministry. I've done a lot of ministry the past 12, 14 years that I've been here. But 
I've been shackled by a lot of things that TV is as much of a blessing as it's been. There's things I can't do, and it really saps my energy. And, and, and so I, I, I did it, and it's happening. And I hope to be able to continue as one of the pastors here. I have some ministry dreams and ideas that I pray Jesus will make possible. I'm feeling called to a good old-fashioned revival. I see, I sense a hunger for the truth in our world today, especially through our younger people who are being fed so much garbage in the world that want to hear the truth of Jesus. And there's also a lot of people that have never been to church or have walked away from church for some reason and were hurt or disappointed or misled. But I'm very aware that my hopes and dreams are just that. Man plans and God laughs. And I was shocked 15 months ago to be diagnosed with cancer. And I kept it to myself for just a little over a year. I shared only with my immediate family and closest friends. I wanted time to process it, to kind of get used to it, to pray. And, and I, I think I told you that my place on this tape measure of 76 years, boom, is right here at 67. And I want to reread a verse that we went through earlier. Lord, remind me that my life is no longer than the width of your hand. Now, I know so many of you who have had or have cancer, I understand that many of you have lost someone that you loved deeply to this wicked disease. And many of you have suffered, are suffering greatly. Hearing a doctor say, you have cancer is truly a wake-up call. But amazingly, it's brought me spiritual peace like never before. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is our rock. I've prayed that scripture hundreds of times since my biopsy, and Jesus has brought me peace day after day beyond all human understanding. I've not asked God to take my cancer away, but I do ask him almost every day to show me a way to use it for his kingdom. And never once has he allowed me to feel sorry for myself. To the contrary, I feel blessed, especially by others with cancer who he has placed in my pathway to help me. Some are fighting much more serious types, but they've all been incredibly encouraging, both through their willingness to listen and their advice from personal experience as well as the examples they set. And one of those is our, our New Covenant sister, Debbie Fillion. Debbie's been fighting rare and very deadly cancer for around five years now. And I, I think we've all lost count of how many different rounds of chemo and radiation she's been through. It's brutal. The treatments have made her so sick at times she could barely move. At several points along the way, she told the doctor, stop, no more treatment, I'm done, I'm ready to go meet the Lord. But then after a while, she's regained her strength and through prayer decided that she'll start in with treatments again. But one thing that Debbie's never stopped doing through all of this is faithfully serving Jesus in a wide array of ways. She still takes care of our little babies in Sunday service here. 
And she's a regular at the cancer center, not just when she's being treated, but as a volunteer servant. She shares and prays with those who are hurting. She looks for every opportunity to encourage anyone and never misses a chance to bear her soul about Jesus, who he is and what he promises. Debbie was a small person to start with, and she's lost a lot of weight, probably about close to half of my size right now, but she has the strength and courage of a lion. My first biopsy was pretty painful and caused a bad infection on top of it that made me quite sick. And I'll never forget, just not feeling good, and I needed to go for a checkup on my way to see my surgeon, and I'm trudging through the hospital hallway like a little old man who's 90 years old, and who comes whisking around the corner, pushing a wheelchair, and asking, you want a ride, Steve? But my little friend, Debbie, fell in. And I said, no, thank you. There was no way uh, my pride was going to let me be pushed into the doctor's office in a wheelchair by a lady half my size, even though she is a warrior with a heart for Jesus the size of the state of New Mexico. She has been a rock for me and for so many others, faithful and strong and steady through all her ups and downs, the pain and the disappointment. And never once has she taken her eyes off the prize. She's focused on Jesus, and she reminds me to do the same. I announced my cancer publicly on social media at the first of the year, just after it had been one year for me. Not to gain any sympathy or pity. I don't need that. I do appreciate your prayers, but only if you promise to pray for everybody else who's affected by cancer in any way, because our world needs us. I did that announcement to raise awareness of the importance of early checkups, especially we men are bad about that, to take away the shame or the embarrassment of a disease that none of us has control of, and to use it as an opportunity to publicly share my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior while I still have the time, while I still have the opportunity. And it's been amazing. Now, please don't worry about me. Things have gone so incredibly well. My numbers have dropped significantly around 25% each of my last two visits. My surgeon said, Steve, I have no idea what you're doing to make this happen, but keep doing it. He was shocked. And I can't tell you what a blessing it was to look him in the eye and say, I have great faith in Jesus, and I've asked him to show me how to use this for his glory. But today's message is not about me. It's about me asking, what is your story? What's your timetable to serve the Lord? What are you called to do with the time you have left on this earth, when will you begin to answer the call to serve that Jesus has placed in your heart? Now, a lot of us could start with a few simple but important things that need to happen, apologies to make, forgiveness to ask for, letters, emails, phone calls to let special people in our lives know how precious they are to us. Doesn't need to be limited to family and friends. Maybe there was a coach or a teacher or a coworker or a neighbor who made a difference. What about finally finding a way to spend quality time with the Lord each and every day? More important than anything else are the opportunities we have left to share the eternal rewards of following Jesus. Telling others the truth about Him is infinitely more valuable than amassing wealth or any amount of fame or public acclaim. So what are you waiting for? When are you going to step out and step up for the Lord? Are you going to wait until you're 76? 
to finally make an effort to do a mission trip to Mexico to work with rebuilding a children's orphanage like several groups from Albuquerque do almost every year to start sharing your wealth and financial resources with those who are out in the mission field like our young and very brave young New Covenant brother, Peter Scott. He's in his early 20s and took off to the wilds of Mexico pretty much on his own to learn a rare language so he can teach the gospel to those who are unreached. He's amazing. Are you going to wait until you're 86 to volunteer to teach Sunday school class to our kids or to go over just across the street to E.G. Ross, our neighborhood school that we partner with through our Shine ministry where almost 100% of the kids live below the poverty level so that you can help young boys and girls learn how to read so that you can speak into their lives so that you can be part of the group that Karen Brown leads that took box lunches to the teachers this week to pat them on the back and to tell them, please be encouraged. We're glad you're out there doing what you do. Are you going to wait until you're 96 to generate the courage to actually learn how to witness to those around you, to share your faith in a way that gives them the opportunity to obtain the same gift that you've been given? Because if we wait 76, 86, 96, if you're 26 now and wait until you're 36, it might be too late. This life goes by in a flash. And as a pastor, I've come to see that almost without fail, we're shocked when that time comes. The subject of this message, the brevity of life, is an ongoing theme throughout much of the Bible. Old and New Testament, book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, New Testament also. Jesus talked about it. Paul wrote about it a lot. James wrote in 4.14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. And even though we're almost done with the message today, I'm compelled to change the title because of Jesus. It's just a slight but very important adjustment. The brevity of life really needs to be called the brevity of this life. Because while this life is very short and is coming to a close, the next one goes on forever. And that holds for both the good and the bad. Paradise and perdition. Heaven and hell. Go on forever. Jesus in John 11 said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I say, do you believe this, Greg? Do you believe this, Dirk? Do you believe this, Mike? Do you believe this, Lena? Do you believe this, New Covenant Church? There's no mystery here. Jesus lays out a pathway to eternal paradise in a way that's perfectly clear. We who fight faithfully follow his teachings and learn to live in his ways will enjoy a life in paradise that goes on forever. 
Though we will die in this world, we will live with God eternally in the next. And I've heard it explained this way. When you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you die just once, but you live twice, first in this life and then for eternity. But if you reject his offer of salvation, you live just once but die twice. Your first death in this world might be awful, but it's nothing compared to the pain and separation and damnation that comes with those who reject Jesus and that existence, your second death, as painful as it will be, Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth goes on forever also. So it's critically important that we stop and think about this. Focus and pray. Commit to serving Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close. If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's never going to be a better time than right now And I'm not going to ask you to to raise your hand or to come up front or to make a public confession right now, but I am going to ask you to pray in your seat or to come up afterwards quietly and privately and individually as I did because I was afraid to talk about my faith publicly because it is just a simple first step, but none of these beautiful, eternal things can happen until we take that step. And down the road, we'll give you plenty of opportunities, and so will the Lord to make a public confession of faith. We have a couple of baptisms coming up soon, and that's a great way to show the world that you have made an inward change. Our mission statement, to know Jesus, to make him known, coming to personally know Jesus, then doing our best to make him known to others, is the main reason we are still here That's the purpose in your life. There is somebody God has within your scope, within your reach that doesn't know the Lord, and they need to. And there are so many easy, effective ways to learn how to do that. Just as we are individuals and have different habits and skills and ability, God has given us a thousand different ways to bring others to know him. Please join me in prayer. Great Almighty God, Thank you for this time today. Thank you for helping us to ponder this situation, this moment in time that you've given us. Help us to number our days, to make the most of every opportunity, to truly treasure our lives, to realize what a gift it is, to recognize that you are here to forgive us, to guide, to provide, to give us every opportunity to make sure that we don't waste our time on foolishness, on frivolity, on things that don't really matter eternally, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be imperfect, but to still be loved, to still be saved, to still be treasured by you, the creator of all things. We love you, and we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.